0: in our society, emotions really get a bad rap. If you feel like something is, you're not connecting with it, you feel like this isn't for you. Often people will be like, well, you know, like everyone hates their job. So just like put your head down and do it and get through it. But I think really paying attention to things that you like, things that you don't like, will help you kind of move towards whatever it is that is gonna help you to find the most meaning. And that's when you're gonna do your best work. You're not gonna feel burnt out at the end of the day. You're actually gonna feel like, okay, I'm in a space that I have created for myself.
1: This is The Starting Line, a conversation series with dynamic young leaders who are doing transformational work in their chosen fields. We'll be exploring how they got their start, the roles of mentors in their success, and the pivotal experiences that have shaped their career journey so far. I'm your host, Mona Malone, Chief Human Resource Officer and Head of People and Culture for BMO Financial Group. I am very excited, and delighted that today our first guest is Dr. Sonia Kang from the University of Toronto, one of the most innovative young academics in the field of organizational behavior. She is Canada Research Chair in Identity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Sonia takes a novel approach to her research, harnessing the power of behavioral insights and organizational design to disrupt systems, processes, and structures that create barriers to inclusion. Now, this sounds like really fascinating and innovative research and work, and I'm really excited to learn more. Sonia, welcome to The Starting Line. Thanks, Mona. Great to be here. Now, let's start with what inspired you in the beginning. So in other words, when you think about the early days of your career, what sparked your passion for your field of study? Yeah, absolutely. So
0: definitely, I've always been interested in kind of, I would say, identity-related issues. So, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that I hold the Canada Research Chair in Identity, Diversity, and Inclusion, and identity really is about a kind of a story that we tell ourselves about who we are. And we develop that story over the course of our lives. We hope that other people see us in the way that we want to be seen. That's the authenticity piece. And then we also hope that we have an opportunity to change and develop and grow upon kind of that solid foundation where we initially built our identities. Where I initially got interested in this field is really in terms of when those identities are not respected. So when people are discriminated against, when people feel undervalued in a given space, when people just feel like they are not welcome. So I was always interested in those topics. I think that I didn't really know how I wanted to express that or what I wanted to do with that. Actually, you know, I did my undergrad degree in psychology coming out of that. I was like, maybe I'll go to law school. Maybe I'll, you know, go to grad school. But I was always really interested in sort of protecting identity and thinking about ways to create Spaces where lots of different identities can be present. That's the diversity piece. And then also feel like they belong there, which is the inclusion piece. So that's how I got kind of initially interested in this line of work. And it's been really great because as a researcher, I'm able to kind of follow that path of exploring the issues that are really important to me. On the teaching side, I get to hear stories about people's own development, really get exposed to you know people of all ages who are kind of trying to improve or learn something about themselves, about the world. So it's really ideal for someone like me who's interested in identity.
1: Sounds like you have such a wonderful natural curiosity also as you as you share your starting line story. What role did mentors play along the way as you were developing this interest? So in my line of work,
0: mentorship is often kind of assigned, right? So when you are studying as a, let's say, thesis student, you're doing a project. Even later on, when I was doing my master's and PhD work, you're always working with, you know, a set of mentors. So it's not just one person necessarily, but it could be people who are on your committee. And that model, I think, is really nice because it sets up this natural mentoring relationship. So in a way, you know, in, let's say, outside of academia, you kind of have to find those networks and make sure that you have those mentoring relationships in place. What's nice about my line of work is that you have access to those mentors almost by design. And I think that's because so much of our training is really using kind of an apprenticeship model. You work with an advisor and or a set of advisors. Now that I am a professor, I have my own students. And that type of Mentorship is really kind of pivotal to creating someone who can work in this job. So, mentorship has always been really central and I'm lucky because it's kind of built in. So it's kind of built into this work that you have this kind of support network of people that you can go to and ask for support, ask for advice. Now, among my colleagues, I have a similar kind of relationship where, you know, if something comes up for me that I haven't experienced before, there's like, you know, like five different people that I can go to to ask about any given thing. So academia is really nice in that way because we have those mentorship relationships. We kind of take it for granted that that's how – how it should be set up.
1: And now I've had the benefit of learning from some of the sharing that you've done before. And one of the things that really stuck with me was this concept that you mentioned about reinvention mindset. And it really resonated. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by reinvention mindset and why it's so relevant to the world we live in today?
0: Absolutely. So to me, reinvention is really about being comfortable with changing something about yourself that isn't working for you. So one of the interesting things about my line of work where I'm looking at people with identities that have traditionally been undervalued, In spaces, right? So these are people whose identities may have been stigmatized. They may experience discrimination based on those identities. A lot of times people will say, you know, when people feel like they don't fit into a a space, this is something called imposter syndrome. So if someone's like, oh, you know, I don't feel like people really respect me or I'm not good enough or they're going to find out I don't belong here. People will say, oh, okay, you just have imposter syndrome. Just, you know, you got to get over it. Really, I think... What that signals, instead of something like a syndrome, something that's wrong with you, is something that's wrong with the space that you're in, right? So often we have these imposter thoughts when we find ourselves in spaces that weren't designed for us, by us, with us in mind, right? So you get put into a new group at work. You feel like, oh, I don't know. Are they really you know, going to take what I have to say seriously? I shouldn't even be here. That says much more about the environment that you find yourself in than anything about you. So when I'm talking about reinvention, I really mean being mindful of those kinds of imposter thoughts, if you will, as signals to you of something meaningful, which means that this space is not right for you, right? Whatever, however that space has been set up, it's not working for you, right? And it's not about you. It's about the space. And then from there... Being ready to kind of experiment with different types of spaces, different kinds of work, different kinds of work teams. And I think that when you're in a reinvention mindset, you're really oriented towards growth. So this is also, you know, you could think about this in terms of growth mindset, really being willing to kind of learn and develop without attributing negative experiences that you might have to yourself. I think that so much of, you know, success in life happens once you kind of let go of that self-attribution for things that aren't going well for you. I mean, realistically, right? Sometimes you might mess up and you're like, okay, yeah, I really did something wrong here. But most of the time when we're experiencing things like imposter thoughts, it's not about you. Most of the time. And so for me, that journey took a really long time. Like, I feel like I only really learned this like within the last like five, six years this kind of message that I don't have to internalize every bad thing that ever happens to me. It's not about me. It could be about another person. It could be about the situation. And really being willing to kind of update and change and move into a new way of doing things and reinventing the space for myself. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about reinvention mindset is really putting yourself in that mindset for growth, really paying attention to the cues that are coming to you from your different experiences and not kind of internalizing them and giving up. I think it's really relevant in today's world because we are being You know, exposed to so much change. There's so much opportunity in terms of moving into a different kind of role, different company, you know, even a different career that I think hasn't necessarily existed up until this point. And so we have the flexibility now to really reinvent ourselves in many different ways. And for the first time, I think that organizations are really starting to support that because they recognize that that's what it takes to succeed, right? As an employer today, you have to be willing to, you know, be flexible and accommodate
1: whatever people find to be working best for them. I think that's such powerful and good advice, this concept of growth mindset. I deeply believe, you know, progress happens with growth at an organizational level, at a team level, and just at an individual human level. And so, The techniques around how do you actually improve your growth mindset and work on your growth mindset is almost a a lifelong learning pursuit for sure for leaders and I think just generally for all. Let's dig into this a little bit more. Tell us a bit more about how have you applied this reinvention mindset or growth mindset in in your own life? What are some of the tools or the approaches that people might be able to try? So I can tell
0: you an example kind of from my personal life and then from professional life. So personal experience, definitely for me, a big reinvention had to happen after I had, I have two boys, after I had my first son. So up until that point in my life, you know, I was like independent, competent organized, doing everything kind of on my own schedule, getting stuff done, um, I felt like I was really in control and, you know, like classic overachiever, like I was very – Organized and got the things done that I wanted to get done. After I had my son, all of that completely fell apart. Anyone who's listening to this and has a child will know what I mean. But you know, like all of a sudden, you're having a hard time scheduling, like when you're going to brush your teeth or take a shower, <laughs> you know, all of these very basic tasks kind of fall apart. And I remember during that time, feeling so bad about myself, right? Like, I've gotten up to this point in my life. I don't even know how to do this. I can't even, you know, organize this activity and also take a shower. Like, how am I going to keep this child alive? And I remember having a conversation with my midwife, who, by the way, has eight children, uh, having a conversation with my midwife where I was complaining about not knowing how to do something, you know, and feeling really bad about myself. And she was like, why would you? Why would you know how to do this? Right. You haven't done it before. And just that shift in like the language that she was using and this concept of like, you don't know how to do this yet. I think that was just such a powerful kind of shift for me in thinking, that, okay, sure, I don't know how to manage this yet, but I'm going to figure it out. Just like I figured out all of those other things. So that was really huge to me. I think those kinds of experiences, like Whenever you have these huge transitions in life, I think that's when you're most ripe to get into this reinvention mindset, whether that be a way of thinking, whether that be, you know, a new experience or trying some, you know, new career, whatever it might be, getting into a different relationship. I think whenever we have big transitions in our life, we're most open to those things. In my career, I would say You know, academia is a long road. It takes a really long time to get into, you know, different positions. It's quite competitive. So I think for me, leading up to, you know, kind of when I was early in my career, I also was unsure, right? So you get put into this position that you're kind of not really trained for. So, you know, as professors, our training is all about research. All of a sudden, we're supposed to be like, you know, teachers, we're managing the classroom, we're managing all these different interactions between students, It's a lot to balance, right? A lot to balance all of a sudden. It's like running a small business, really. So you have, you know, your staff, you have your budget, um, you have all of these demands on your time. And that was always really a challenge as well, right? And that was a big transition from being a grad student to being a faculty member. And so that, again, took me, I think, like I said in, in an earlier question, it took me years to figure out that you know, and it might have clicked actually around the same time, maybe that I had my first son <laughs> might be related to what my midwife said. Actually, you now I'm like having this revelation on this show. Um, is that I shifted into that mindset of again, you know, why should I know this? Why would I know this? And really being willing, more so to you know, reach out for help, ask people for advice, or even ask people, you know, how do I do this? Whereas before, I feel like that's something that I really would have hidden. Where I would have felt like, oh, if I have to ask for help, they're going to know that I don't know how to do this job, right? I'm going to get fired or whatever it is. Um, And so I think, again, like in that shift, that kind of identity shift, I changed my kind of outlook. I didn't necessarily change what I was doing, right? I was making mistakes before. I was making mistakes after. But I just really changed my orientation to what that meant for me, And also where I was going from there, right? Like everything in life is temporary. So you have to remember that, you know, the struggles that you're having in one domain right now are not going to exist once you've been practicing
1: it for a little while. You're going to have some other new thing to worry about. That is so helpful. And I know as a mother of three, I can definitely relate to the stories around motherhood and the feeling of... Incompetence that sometimes mm-hmm. uh, comes, and the how much new learning there is with this that I that I felt absolutely. I, I wanted to share in a professional setting. Being aware for me of my own self-talk and that tape that's going on in my head has been really important, and being open to learning from others that are doing things better than I am with different elements and looking, seeking out those people. It could be in different industries, it could be in my own organization, and understanding what they're doing, what leadership behaviors, what practices they're doing, and using that as a real source of inspiration has also been something that I think has has contributed to sometimes taking me out of a fixed mindset to more of a growth uh, a growth mindset.
0: Yeah, I really like that, Mona. I think that's so true. Is really, you have to. It's almost like you have to kind of let go of your ego. And I think that you know, in life, as you're kind of you know increasing your knowledge in a given domain and constantly getting better, I think that it becomes harder and harder to ask for help until you make that change. And then all of a sudden, you find that people, you know, who are in really senior positions, I'm sure you find this yourself, are constantly going to other people for, you know, they're on these listing tours constantly. They're trying to like learn as much as they can from other people. But it takes that shift, I think, from just letting go of your ego and feeling like, you know, asking for help is going to say something bad about me to really being secure in yourself and then moving forward from there. But it is, it's such a big shift in
1: thinking, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you are a renowned expert in organizational diversity, equity, and inclusion. Share with us a bit about how can reinvention mindset help break down barriers to inclusion?
0: So I think that part of this really requires kind of almost like a community reinvention mindset. So as you, you know, become more connected within your organization to people like you and hopefully, you know, they exist or across different organizations. I think that, you know, there's so much power in sharing experiences and sharing, you know, like tools and tips and tricks for kind of navigating the spaces that we're in. So, you know, for example, there's a lot of different groups for women in academia, you know, traditionally it's been a very male dominated space. Still a lot of, you know, senior professors at across all kinds of different universities are men and it's been a space really which has been dominated by men for a long time. So there's lots of work that can be done by getting connected to a community because that's going to help you I think to recognize that the stresses that you're experiencing are not unique to you right? They're really shared. And it can also help you, I think, to recognize whether what you're experiencing is because of some knowledge gap that you have versus, you know, a exclusionary workplace culture or, you know, discrimination straight up, right? So I think sharing with finding your community and really kind of like getting knowledge from that community can help you, I think, in Creating a reinvention mindset. In terms of how it can help the other way, right, how reinvention can help with inclusion, I think that at the organizational level now, right now, not thinking about the individual level, I think at the organizational level, there can be a lot of structural, systemic kind of changes made in order to make spaces more inclusive. So just as, you know, at the individual level, We need to have a kind of growth mindset. I think at the organizational level, leaders need to understand that they need to have a growth mindset, too, for the culture of the organization, right? So even if things have been, you know, kind of going, quote, well, you're hearing things from other groups. This is what I was saying about, like, the listening tours. You know, you're hearing from different groups that they're not being supported in the space, Again, letting go of the ego, right? Not getting defensive and really using that as an opportunity to change something. A lot of my work focuses on system level changes, right? So not trying to change something about individuals, right? Not telling. So, for example, if women are not being promoted as much as men in your organization, really focusing on structural things that might be causing that. So, not at individual level, so not telling women like you need to apply for promotions more or not telling managers you need to promote women more, but more so what changes can we make in the organization itself in order to help women advance? So I'll give you an example of that from my own work with my former PhD student, Joyce He, who's now a professor at UCLA. We did some work looking at what we can do structurally to help women have more access to opportunities for promotion. So typically, and Mona, you can think about this, I'm sure, in your own life, when you have advanced in your career, whether that be through a promotion or access to any kind of opportunity, typically those kinds of opportunities come in an opt-in frame. So that means that if you're going through your day-to-day life, you do nothing, your default is that you're not going to be involved, right? You're not going to apply for that promotion. You're not going to go out for that special training. You have to do something. You have to opt in. You have to you know, apply. You have to put your name down. Something has to happen in order for you to get in there. We know from lots of previous research that women tend to be less overconfident than men. So notice I didn't say less confident, less overconfident, which means that Women need a much higher threshold in order to say, like, yes, I'm ready for this. I can put myself forward for this than men do. Men do that at a much lower threshold, sometimes, you know, not even meeting the threshold. So we thought, okay, what can we do in this environment where women are having to put themselves forward? And we're not seeing huge numbers of women doing that. So we thought, okay, why don't we change this from an opt in to an opt out, where now the default is if you're past some kind of predetermined threshold, you're going to be put into that pool, you always have the opportunity to opt out. But the default now is that you're in, you're being considered. And in making that shift, we were able to, you know, across a, a bunch of different experiments, lab experiments, field experiments, eliminate that gender gap that usually exists in competition. So now we had men and women kind of staying in that competition at the same rate. Again, I think this is really an organizational reinvention type of mindset issue because it takes a lot for organizations to take ownership over building an inclusive environment. It's much easier, I think, for organizations to say, like, you know, here's your diversity training. You got to stop being racist or sexist or whatever it is. It takes a lot more to actually go and look at your structures, your processes, your procedures and make changes to those. And that requires, I think, this reinvention mindset. It requires kind of the ability to see that something could be changed and then a willingness to experiment and actually try out different things, which I think takes a lot of this, this reinvention mindset in order to look at problems in that way.
1: So it sounds like it's really multi-layered. At the individual level, it's really new learning, understanding biases that you have, exposing yourself to new things and a real openness for growth. But at an organizational level, it's really a hard look at the processes, the systems and the structures And organizationally, that reinvention mindset to take apart things that maybe some things are working fine, but to get a different or a better outcome with a new perspective.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think even just that experimentation, right, like treating problems as an opportunity to experiment is another kind of mindset shift right so it's not like oh we got to solve this problem like super quick let's get this done put a band-aid on it it's like how do we let's experiment with lots of different ways of addressing this problem at lots of different levels lots of different places um, and see what the
1: best solution is right which takes time it takes bravery really. Now, I want to focus on advice you would offer. And so when you think about one piece of advice that you would give to a young person who is really just at the starting line of their career, igniting their passion or interest, what advice would you offer? So I am lucky
0: because I have... uh... I have the opportunity to interact with young people all the time who are kind of at this position so I've had a long time to think about this. But I think the most important thing is to pay attention to your own thoughts, feelings, you know, emotions around different experiences that that you're having. I think, you know, in our society, emotions really get a bad rap. And so if you feel like something is just you're not like connecting with it, you feel like this isn't for you, often people will be like, well, you know, like everyone hates their job. So just like put your head down and do it and get through it. But I think really paying attention to things that you like, things that you don't like, things that even if they're small sort of incremental changes will help you kind of move towards whatever it is that is gonna help you to find the most meaning. And that's when you're gonna do your best work, you're gonna feel, you know, you're not gonna feel burnt out at the end of the day, you're actually gonna feel like, okay, I'm in a space that I have created for myself. A related piece of advice to that is to not be afraid to make big changes. So people, you know, students that I interact with are often, you know, they're not happy in something, But they've invested, you know, like a year or two years or something into, let's say, a particular program or a particular job. And they're like, oh, I've put all this time in, I don't want that to be wasted. And this is really, you know, a classic, classic cognitive fallacy. It's called escalation of commitment, where people will kind of just like keep on escalating resources, putting time, putting money towards something that they've already spent time or money on, just to kind of try to recoup those costs, which we cannot do. So I think another thing that I would say to young people is that, you know, a year or two years, whatever it is, down something that might not be the right path for you is such a small drop in the bucket compared to what it would be like for you to follow that wrong, I guess, path for the rest of your life, the rest of your career. And so those decisions, I think, that we're making at the beginning of our careers are really important in the sense that that really sets you up for what you're going to be doing for the rest of your career. And also, if you develop that early, then you might be able to make multiple shifts like that over the course of your career, right? So in the same way that we have to learn the content of our jobs, the content of whatever we are learning in class, we also have to learn, I think, this orientation towards learning, towards change. And that's what this reinvention mindset is, right? Really paying attention
1: to what's working, being willing to
0: change what isn't.
1: That's fantastic advice. The idea of shedding what's not working for you and being open to establishing new patterns, new behaviors, new ways forward is such great advice for any stage. And if you learn to embrace that early on, it will, it will definitely benefit at all stages of your career. That's for sure. Now, you have put together uh, a fantastic podcast for the love of work, which is described for the modern employee, but I kind of see it as for any employee in terms of really useful practices. Can you share with us a little bit about the inspiration behind the podcast?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast, I guess, is for the modern employee in the sense that we're all modern, right? We're all living in this current like think space, <laughs> right? So it's really any kind of issues that you're gonna deal with at work that require you to take some time to think it through and figure out what's best for you. So we cover topics like, you know, really relevant topics for today, like how to make the best hybrid workplaces and you know, get the best out of your own hybrid work if that's the way you're working. We talk about how powerful it is to feel like you belong and you know, feel like your workplace is set up to be inclusive for you. We talk about how you can create really meaningful change at work through your own influence, whether or not you're a leader. We have an episode called The Reinvention Mindset. so you can learn more about that. Listening, just all of the different topics that I think are really important for people in the modern workplace who are really looking to grow, to learn, you know, to stand out. And it's really just this shift, I think, from thinking about mistakes as kind of indicative of your own failure rather than as opportunities. And actually, we have an episode, it's called How to Make Better Mistakes, which I like, which is all about psychological safety. And psychological safety is basically what we've been talking about this entire conversation is really, you know, our shift in how we're thinking about trying out different ideas, how we're thinking about experimenting with our own identities, with our work life. And so much of that, I think, is set up by the spaces that you find yourself in, whether that's your workplace, whether that's your family structure, you know, relationships. And so understanding, I think, what it means to you to feel psychologically safe helps you to recognize the places that you don't feel safe, right? And think about how you might
1: move through those. Sonia, thank you so much for joining me at The Starting Line, for sharing your story, for sharing tools and techniques for others that are at their starting line. I think paying it forward and being able to inspire other leaders is so important. And to hear from somebody that is so deeply accomplished and knowledgeable in their field is really, it's inspiring to me and I know it'll be inspiring to many others. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. And thanks again for inviting me.